Hello and welcome to the Vet Professionals Cat Cafe podcast series. My name is Sarah Caney. I'm an RCVS specialist in feline medicine and founder of vetprofessionals.com. I've worked as a feline-only vet for more than 25 years and have been an RCVS specialist in feline medicine for nearly 20 years. I decided to set up a virtual cat cafe during the COVID-19 lockdown in March 2020 as a way of keeping in touch with cat owners and sharing my tips on cat care. The following podcast was recorded as a Cat Cafe Zoom webinar on the 1st of October 2020 and you can watch the recording on the video tutorial page of vetprofessionals.com. Look under the helpful info menu for video tutorials and then click on the Cat Cafe tab. In this session, I talk about management of hypothyroidism. Options include reversible treatments like medication and iodine-restricted food, and also permanent, potentially curative treatments such as surgery and radioiodine. Thanks for choosing to listen to this podcast. I hope you find it interesting and of help in your pet care. Thank you very much for joining me this afternoon and this is the the second session the final session talking about hypothyroidism in cats so last time and uh, if you weren't able to attend live we have the recording on the video tutorial page of the website um, we talked about diagnosis of hypothyroidism what the clinical signs of hypothyroidism are so how to spot this in your cat how a vet diagnoses it but today the task is to talk about treatment options and how Happily, the first thing to say about hypothyroidism is that it is treatable and even potentially curable, uh, which is brilliant. There's not that many illnesses that we see where we can actually potentially cure them. And there are actually four treatment options that we have available to us two options uh, that I would call reversible options. So these are options that have to be continued for the rest of the cat's life if that is the treatment that you follow. And then there are two uh, potentially curable, uh, curable uh, treatments, uh, which means that uh, if we do those treatments and they're successful, then potentially the cat doesn't need any other treatment for the rest of its life. So in terms of those, those uh, reversible treatment options to start with, there are two. Um, the first one is extremely commonly used, and this is medication. So medication that blocks production of the thyroid hormones. And this is typically very effective, but we'll talk about it in a little bit more detail in just a moment. And it's probably the most frequently used treatment for hypothyroidism. And indeed, many cats, certainly in the UK, uh, receive antithyroid medication for years and years and years and uh, do extremely well with that management. So that's the first of the, the sort of reversible treatments that we have. The second reversible treatment that we have is, I would say, a little bit more niche in that it is not used in a huge number of cats with hypothyroidism. Um, but this is a special diet called Hills YD, which is an iodine restricted food. And again, I'll talk about that in a little bit more detail later on. Um, but if your cat receives this treatment for their hypothyroidism, then they have to eat just that food um, forever or until you do a different treatment uh, if you want to perhaps uh, operate on, on the cat later on. 
So those are the two reversible treatments. And then the potentially uh, curative treatments are either surgery, where we remove the abnormal thyroid tissue, um, or radioiodine. And radioiodine is where usually by injection, but in some countries it's a pill, uh, we give a radioactive iodine, which then is concentrated in the thyroid and destroys that abnormal thyroid tissue. And again, we'll talk a bit more about each of these treatments as we go through. But essentially, we've got two reversible options. And the key point there is they need to be given forever because the hypothyroidism doesn't uh, resolve spontaneously. It's, it's there forever unless you operate or unless you treat with radioiodine. So if you are going to use a reversible treatment like a medication, you have to give it forever. So the next question really, I guess the, the million dollar question that you might want to ask if you have a cat with hypothyroidism is what's the best treatment? And it's always nice if you can say, this is the best treatment without a shadow of a doubt, but actually very often it's not that simple. And it won't come as a surprise if you've had a cat with any illness to hear that all of these treatments have advantages and all have potential disadvantages. And in fact, I think overall, it's probably true to say that there isn't a single perfect treatment, but the best treatment really will depend on that individual cat and their situation and perhaps also where you live because in some countries uh, for example in Japan radioiodine is not available so you just don't have that as an option for your hypothyroid cat and indeed the medications that are available for hypothyroidism do differ a little bit from country to country so some of the treatments that I mentioned in just a moment uh, perhaps might not be uh, available to you where you live. Also, we need to look at the individual cat for uh, presence of other illnesses. So as you will know from our previous discussion of hypothyroidism, this is a condition that predominantly is affecting our older cats. And of course, older cats are also vulnerable to other illnesses. So if your cat also has severe other illnesses, that might mean that some treatments for hypothyroidism perhaps are not possible. For example, if your cat um, has uh, perhaps severe heart complications resulting from the hypothyroidism or has heart disease for another reason, then an anaesthetic for surgery just might not be thought to be the best thing. That might be considered too risky. So as is the case for many illnesses, I think the best approach really is to inform yourself about the illness and to have a really detailed uh, discussion with your vet so that you understand hopefully as best as possible, as much as you can about the condition and also as much as you can about your cat's particular status, shall we say. So how badly they're affected and whether they have other concurrent illnesses and then can work together to hopefully decide, well, this plan we think is the right plan to start with. And it's always worth saying as well that whatever treatment plan you start with uh, doesn't necessarily be have to be where you, you stay. So for example, if you choose to try an iodine restricted food, uh, the Hills YD, and that doesn't work for you, then you, you stop, you move on to something else. And, and the same for medication. Uh, surgery is obviously a difficult one to reverse, as is radioiodine. But the reversible treatments have that option of you, you can stop them and you can change to something else. So we are going to look at each of the treatments in turn, um, but this table, um, and I apologise, it's a very 
detailed lots of information up on the screen at the moment. Um, but this table, it, it just is illustrating some of the um, uh, pros and cons, if you like, of the different treatments in a, a very condensed form. So we've got um, the medical uh, option is this antithyroid medication, which blocks production of thyroid hormone. Nutritional management is this iodine restricted food, Hills YD, which has such low levels of iodine in that there's just not enough to overproduce the thyroid hormones. And uh, you may remember from last time's discussion that the thyroid hormones have iodide as part of them, T4 having four iodide molecules, T3 having three iodide molecules. So they need iodine to make that thyroid hormone. And if the iodine levels in the food are very, very low, then there's enough for the general basic functions that are needed in the body, but not so much that you can overproduce that thyroid hormone. The next column is surgical treatment, which is removing that abnormal thyroid. And then the last column is radioiodine, that's a local radiotherapy, if you like. So you can see for a start, the top line, we have the curative treatments are uh, potentially surgery and radioiodine, bearing in mind that nothing is perfect, so they don't have a 100% cure rate. Uh, with radioiodine, it's estimated to be about 95% though, so that is as high as you are realistically going to get. Side effects uh, present really with all of these other than the nutritional uh, management of hypothyroidism. Um, so um, all of the treatments, as I'll come on to in a moment, have the potential to, to worsen kidney function. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But the diet doesn't have any specific adverse effects, which is obviously a lovely advantage. Whereas medication, as uh, won't come as a surprise, all medication does carry a risk of side effects, although in a very, very small number of patients. Similarly, with surgery and radioiodine, we can sometimes see side effects as well. And I'll touch on some of these as we go through later. Side effects um, are generally more common with the medical management, but tend to be very mild and manageable for the most part. So although I've put here uh, up to 20% of cats on medication can have side effects, um, really for uh, at least 15% of the cats uh, in that 20% category, so the majority of those, they'll be very mild, very manageable, very temporary in nature. Side effects can be serious, um, in particular with surgery and medical management, but again, that is, is not very common. Um, we'll talk a little bit as well at the end about hypothyroidism, which is where we overtreat the thyroid disease. Um, and that can happen really with all of the treatments other than nutrition management. Um, and in the case of uh, the medical management, we can reduce the dose to, to avoid that. So um, it's not strictly speaking a problem with medical management as long as, as we're looking for it. But again, we'll come back to that a little bit later. Recurrence is an issue, um, I think really possible with all of them, but least likely with radioiodine. Hospitalization needed for some treatments, surgical treatment, radioiodine in particular, um, and availability of some treatments does vary. As I've already mentioned, if, if you live in Japan, radioiodine is not available. If you live in Australia, then most towns seem to offer radioiodine facilities for cats. There are lots and lots of radioiodine centers. So availability does vary from country to country um, as well. As I, I mentioned just briefly a moment ago, all treatments do have a 
potential to worsen kidney function in cats with hypothyroidism. You will already know as very informed and, and educated carers that kidney disease is also very common in any case in older cats about a third of elderly cats, uh, possibly more will develop kidney disease. So it is common in combination with hypothyroidism, but also the hypothyroid state does do things, it changes things. And uh, some of the things it, it does are relate to the kidneys. So in a hypothyroid cat, there will be an increase in blood flow to the kidneys and also an increase in what's called the GFR. This is the glomerular filtration rate. And this is a measure of, of kidney function. And in your cat with hypothyroidism, both these things are, are increased, which superficially might sound like quite a positive thing especially if your cat perhaps does have some kidney problems you know is it not a good thing to help their glomerular filtration um, and to help their renal blood flow but unfortunately overall the impact of the hypothyroidism on the kidneys is negative actually it causes kidney damage so although as i say some of these impacts might sound to have a positive element to them ultimately hypothyroidism is damaging to the kidneys so we do need to treat it it can be quite difficult assessing kidney function in cats with hypothyroidism because of all that's going on underneath the surface with, with the hypothyroidism. But once we treat that hypothyroidism, we know that the, the blood flow to the kidneys and that GFR will fall. And for many cats, that's absolutely fine. That's returning things to normal and the cat is fine and healthy. Uh, but in some cats, uh, especially those that do have more borderline kidney function, that drop in renal blood flow and that drop in, in glomerular filtration rate can actually unmask a kidney problem that we didn't know about. And it can cause the for our patient to become unwell, show signs of kidney disease um, and uh, potentially have uh, to a varying degree uh, what I would call a, a renal crisis for some cats obviously more severe than others. So it is important that, uh, that you're aware of that and unfortunately at the moment there's not a lot that can be done to predict which cats may uh, fall into this category, which cats have this subclinical kidney disease which is going to be unmasked when their thyroid disease is treated. There is a fairly new test of kidney function called the SDMA assay, which you, you may have come across. And if you listened to my kidney presentations, you will have heard me talk a little bit about it there. And there is some data to suggest that that is of some help in predicting cats likely to develop kidney complications but it's definitely not perfect. And the situation seems to be that if SDMA levels are high, if they're abnormal in a hypothyroid cat that has not had treatment, then that cat is quite likely to have kidney problems following treatment. But unfortunately, a normal SDMA level doesn't mean the cat is safe. So it's of some use in highlighting patients that may be particularly vulnerable, but unfortunately it's not perfect. So what's the bottom line? Well, the bottom line is that we know hypothyroidism is damaging to the kidneys. So therefore, it's important that the hypothyroidism is treated not just because of 
what consequences of hypothyroidism can be to our cats, but also because of the kidney damage. But in cats that do have pre-existing kidney disease, sometimes it can be a delicate balance. It can be a harder juggle to make. And I have a, a case study at the very end of uh, today's presentation, which I'll share with you, which shows the sorts of things that we would do to try and uh, juggle those, those two difficulties where present. So let's just look now at each of the different treatments and what's available. And starting with antithyroid medications, um, in the UK, we're very lucky. We have actually a range of licensed medications available for hypothyroidism. And uh, these are, for the most part, um, a medication that the active drug ingredient is called thiamazole. And thiamazole also is exactly the same as methimazole. And uh, a bit like bacteria names changing from time to time, uh, sometimes that happens with drugs. So if you see thiamazole and methimazole and think, is that a different thing? It's exactly the same product. It's just now we are supposed to call it thiamazole, whereas 20 years ago we called it methimazole. And most of the vet licensed products contain thiamazole. So that includes products like philimazole, which is a tablet, thiophiline, which is a tablet, um, and thyronorm and thiamacare that are both liquid medications. And thiamacare, the one on the right hand side, is a very recently um, launched product in the UK, I think just this month. Um, and uh, whilst similar to thyronorm in terms of being a liquid, is a more concentrated form. So if your cat's on a higher dose of medication, then this sort of stronger uh, solution of products might be helpful in terms of allowing you to give a smaller volume of liquid to your cat and have the same dose of medication. The one product I've not mentioned so far, which is licensed in the UK, is Vidalta. And Vidalta contains uh, a slightly different product called Carbimazole. And Carbimazole is actually converted to thiamazole in the body. So it is essentially the same medication that you're giving, but you're giving what we would call a prodrug. And the uh, also other interesting thing about Vidalta is that the Carbimazole is in what's called a sustained release preparation. And what that means is that um, it actually is authorised for administration either once a day or once every 48 hours and it's very slowly released uh, over that period um, and uh, therefore um, for cats that are difficult to give a pill to uh, it means that you can give you know once a day rather than twice a day which is more typical for methimazole, uh, thiamazole containing products. So we have an array of, of products available um, something that I've not included a picture of on this slide, but um, worth a brief mention is that also thiamazole in the UK and carbimazole and thiamazole in some other countries are available in a transdermal formulation. This is a cream that is applied to the inside of the ear and absorbed through the skin. Now these products are usually made by what's called a specials lab and they do not have veterinary authorization. So we're not allowed to use them first line, but for patients where perhaps they're impossible to give a pill to, we can't succeed in hiding the pill in, in a little bit of food or a treat, for example, um, then the transdermal medications are something that we can use uh, following our regulatory guidelines, which are called Cascade. And so these transdermal products then uh, are applied to the inner surface of the ear, absorbed through the skin and work in the same way as these oral products. 
And the thiamazole, the active ingredient, uh, is just symptomatically blocking production of thyroid hormones. And typically over a period of a few weeks, uh, our hypothyroid cats, therefore their blood levels of thyroid hormones will drop. Uh, usually with oral medication within two or three weeks, the levels of thyroid hormones will be within the reference range again. And therefore our cats will now be symptom free and start to gain weight and have return of quality of life. Giving a pill is not always straightforward uh, to a cat and a hypothyroid cat is probably going to be a more challenging cat than, than many other cats because of the behavioural changes that often result from hypothyroidism, the anxiety, the irritability, all those sorts of clinical signs. But actually lots and lots of cats are um, actually very good with medication and there are some resources on the website which I've just highlighted a couple here from the video tutorial page which you if you go to the main homepage of Vet Professionals and then look for the helpful info top menu, go down to video tutorials and then on that page, I think in the section for cat owners, you'll find uh, these videos uh, that show firstly how to, a, a fairly standard technique for how to give a pill, but then also um, the, the most lovely uh, video montage of um, carers giving their cats um, medication, often antithyroid medication, but not exclusively, um, which we actually uh, collected these lovely videos through a competition that we ran on the website, um, I think a couple of years ago now. And I would like to say thank you to anyone who's, who's watching or listening uh, to this and did submit a video because they are absolutely brilliant and so heartwarming to see because uh, if you do watch that montage what you will also notice is that uh, for the majority of the videos it's a single person dosing the cat with ease and uh, so the cat is not you know it's not a, a major torture it's not like that uh, joke email about giving a cat a pill to the cat and everyone ending up covered in scratches and, and hairs and everything else it's uh, it's lovely for showing how straightforward it can be so if this is something that uh, currently you feel quite daunted about I would say um, you know really try not to and also seek support of course from your vet clinic what else can I tell you about antithyroid medication? Well, there are definitely many advantages of this in that uh, they're generally available in all countries of the world um, and uh, on the shelf of the vet clinic, easy to start, quite affordable on a day-by-day -day basis as well. So that's all very good. Also, you can you can withdraw therapy. If it doesn't agree with your cat, you, you can withdraw it completely. You can titrate the dose uh, to effect. So lots of uh, really good things about you. Uh, using these antithyroid medications. Um, there are, however, some disadvantages. And the first one I've already mentioned is really that if your cat um, has hypothyroidism and this is the treatment you choose, they will need it forever or until you perform some curative procedure to treat the hypothyroidism. Some cats will see side effects, uh, although that very much is the minority, and I'll talk more about that in a second. Occasionally, cats are resistant to the medication, so either a high dose is needed or even that is not effective enough. And we do need to monitor, so blood tests and vet visits needed to check progress is uh, quite a commitment, really, from your perspective, and also a cost commitment as well. There have been some concerns raised recently that very long-term treatment, by which I mean years, may increase the risk of that uh, typically benign uh, hyperplastic thyroid developing into a thyroid 
linked cancer. Um, and whilst I definitely wouldn't want to alarm anyone listening who has a hypothyroid cat that's been on this medication for a long time, because I think that the risk is quite small. It is one reason, in my view, for if you diagnose hypothyroidism in what I would call a young to middle-aged cat, so a cat, you know, certainly under the age of 15, where possible, it's really nice, I think, to go for a curative treatment so that you don't have that sort of concern hanging over you. And this is uh, Foggy on this slide, uh, is uh, a cat whose owner entered him into our before and after uh, photo competition we did some uh, while ago for cats with hypothyroidism. And I think you can see he looks a bit worried. His coat looks a bit poor. He was a bit thin as well. And we'll see him a little bit later looking much happier. So what are the side effects to be aware of? Uh, should you use this medication in your cat? Well, typically they are mild and temporary. So do not be alarmed at the thought of side effects. For the most part, they are very manageable. Um, there can be some nausea, reduced appetite, for example. But often if you start at a low dose and uh, gradually increase the dose if you need to, those sorts of side effects can be minimized. A very small number of cats, probably less than 5% of cats overall on this medication, will develop more serious side effects. And one example is actually a very severe skin uh, side effect where severe itching, especially affecting the head area, um, can be seen. And I've included a photo on this slide of a, an affected cat. You can see has got really uh, very sore looking skin um, and uh, it was intensely itchy. So um, really uncomfortable for this cat. And this is a reaction that we see from time to time with the antithyroid medication. And unfortunately, when we see it, uh, often it means that we can't use any antithyroid medication because essentially they're all thiamazole. So uh, if you have a reaction to thiamazole, you need to then find an alter alternative way of managing that hypothyroidism. We also can sometimes see side effects in the blood profile. So a low white blood cell count, a low platelet count, for example, uh, sometimes liver problems as well. So there are other severe uh, side effects that we will see very occasionally. Um, but the important thing really is to be aware of them and to monitor for them. And if you do see any hint of them, they are reversible. So as long as you're uh, aware of them and looking for them, then uh, then they shouldn't be um, uh, of too much uh, concern, but definitely something that you do need to be aware of. So that brings us on to checkups really, and the importance of these. And of course, checkups are really important to determine whether our patients are responding as they should to their, their management, um, and whether or not they have any side effects, any renal complications, or any other problems that we can uh, detect at all. So keeping in close contact with the vet clinic is really helpful for all of these. And monitoring tests do include blood tests to measure blood levels of thyroid hormone, as well as looking at the kidney parameters and also the haematology with respect to some of the side effects and liver enzymes as well. So we saw Foggy a little bit earlier looking a bit unkempt and a little bit worried and, and there's now a lovely photo of him. He was uh, managed medically so he received long-term medical management and looking much more content and in much better condition and, and very nice coat there. 
So next on our list is this iodine restricted food that I mentioned. And again, the premise of this is that uh, to produce thyroid hormone, you need iodine. Iodine is part of the thyroid hormone. Therefore, if you really limit the amount of iodine in the food, um, then you can provide just enough for, for what the cat needs, but not so much that they can overproduce the thyroid hormone. And this diet's only existed really for, I guess, the last decade. It's a fairly recent innovation uh, in, the, in the world of feline medicine. And it definitely can be really helpful in some cases. And, and one example is this uh, lovely patient, Lucy, that you can see here, um, whose uh, owner was extremely observant, uh, picked up signs of hypothyroidism in Lucy at quite an early point. Um, but because of a disability that she had, really handling pills, giving pills and liquid medication just was not possible. Um, and Lucy did extremely well on her Hills YD diet um, and was uh, stabilised and managed extremely happily on it, uh, which was great. So it's a good option for her. It's a diet which you do need to feed as the only food source to your cat with hypothyroidism because if you give any normal cat food of course that has higher levels of iodine and it will just completely wreck what you've achieved through feeding the hills yd and that's a major downside of this approach and particularly challenging of course if you have a multi-cat household where uh, you may not uh, in fact it's not recommended that you feed hills yd to your healthy cats so that can be very challenging. So whilst there are definitely some advantages, it's lovely to think of not having to give medication. Um, to medicate your cat with food is, is really a very lovely and exciting uh, concept, I think. Um, and of course, it has the advantage of medication in that it's reversible. So if, if uh, it doesn't agree with your cat for whatever reason, you can stop it. That's absolutely fine. Uh, you don't need additional treatment uh, as well, which is, it, which is absolutely great. And you can use it short or long term. So you could use YD prior to surgery, for example, and that would be great for that. Also, it's very, very rare. I think no uh, absolutely confirmed cases of hypothyroidism, overtreatment of the hypothyroidism in cats receiving this food, uh, which is also good news. However, you do need to feed it as the only food source and that's quite challenging. And then, of course, what happens if your cat's nutritional requirements change and perhaps a different diet would be better for them? That can be quite tricky. Um, so it's it's certainly I would say it's an important treatment option to have available, uh, but it it's not uh, perhaps uh, um, for every cat and in fact I, I would still say it's a fairly niche product for certain situations. Um, Lucy the cat I uh, talked about just a moment ago also was a single cat indoor only so not hunting not eating food at the, the neighbour's house so she was absolutely perfect cat uh, for YD but a multi-cat household would be particularly challenging. Um, also some cats with very high levels of thyroid hormone uh, don't fully respond to this diet so for a very severe case of hypothyroidism it perhaps might not be the first choice there. So good candidates, single cat households, indoor only cats, perhaps a poor candidate would be a cat from a multi-cat household where it's really just going to be too difficult logistically to ensure that they only receive that food that they need. 
So next treatment on our list is surgery um, and I, I hope that the photo on this slide not too off-putting to you um, but surgery involves removing that abnormal thyroid tissue and this is a procedure that's been done for many many years now and I am not a surgeon but I am told it's very straightforward surgery and for the most part uh, it's actually quite quick, quite easy and works very well which is great. However, of course, it does need a general anaesthetic. And if you have a fragile elderly cat, that might be a concern. And also there are some other uh, potential complications which we can find. So for example, for a very large mass, uh, it can be difficult to remove it completely. We may see recurrence therefore. And also there are some very little glands called the parathyroid glands, which control calcium levels in the body. And they are very close to the thyroid, just outside that thyroid tissue and they can be damaged or removed during this procedure which can cause problems with calcium levels uh, post-operative which is treatable but uh, potentially uh, life-threatening so it's you know it's quite a uh, a big deal in terms of uh, potential complications uh, also other nerves and major blood vessels in that area as well so we can sometimes see complications related to that so it's uh, as with everything it's not perfect however the good thing about it is that if you do have a straightforward case um, this is potentially a way of curing it actually remove that abnormal tissue and it's gone and the cat post-op therefore doesn't need any more medication and that's brilliant. So often very successful, a nice example from our before and after competition was ginger. You can see ginger uh, pre-treatment here looking um, a, a bit poor coat, uh, perhaps, you know, got a slightly anxious expression on his face, um, perhaps looking a, a little bit thinner than is normal for him. Uh, on the right hand side, looking extremely contented, um, possibly has put on a little bit too much of his, uh, his weight following his uh, successful treatment but nonetheless looking you know absolutely lovely uh, post-treatment so surgical treatment if that's available to you and you have a, a nice uh, confident vet who's done this procedure before uh, I would say is is very worthwhile considering for your hypothyroid cat and then lastly, we have radioiodine, uh, which involves uh, typically in the UK an injection of radioactive iodine. And again, as we know, iodine is required for production of thyroid hormones. If you give an injection of iodine, it becomes concentrated in the thyroid tissue. And this radioactive iodine has a half-life of about a week. So it will sit in that thyroid and, and just emit radiation, which locally uh, leads to um, killing off of those abnormal thyroid cells and it's uh, very selective so and and doesn't damage other tissues so the parathyroid glands are absolutely fine in fact the normal thyroid tissue is also absolutely fine it just kills off that abnormal thyroid tissue so it's very clever treatment very targeted um, and has a very high success about a 95 percent success rate also, for the very small number of cats that have malignant thyroid tumours, thyroid carcinomas, which are uh, just a couple of percent of all hyperthyroid cats, this treatment also can work very effectively for them, although you do need to give a much higher dose um, of uh, radioiodine compared to a standard hypothyroid cat if treating a carcinoma. But many cats that have carcinomas, if you try surgery, uh, the carcinoma will, will recur. So uh, this is the best treatment for thyroid carcinomas uh, if you're unlucky enough to experience that in your cat. 
Side effects, very rare. The main one would be uh, some cats develop hypothyroidism. The treatment just overdoes it a little bit. That can be treated with thyroid supplements. But of course, if your cat is having radioiodine because it's very difficult to give a pill to, and then it comes out needing a different sort of pill, that, that can be very frustrating. So uh, again, important that you're aware of that. And the, and the risks of that are low. Less than 10% of cats with radioiodine uh, develop long-term hypothyroidism thyroidism. Its availability is a little bit limited. So in the UK, there's probably about a dozen centres that offer this treatment, which might mean that depending on where you live, you could have to travel for several hours to find a centre, which might not be very appealing. Um, if you're in Japan, it's just not available at all. And another interesting fact, I think, in terms of, of the cost of this procedure is that as an outlay cost, it uh, typically is much more expensive um, than medication is, certainly for several months. However, if your cat with hypothyroidism lives for two years or longer, then actually it's more cost effective to use radioiodine. So although the initial uh, cost of treatment is very high, um, if you have a relatively young and healthy cat with hypothyroidism that hopefully is going to live for many more years, then this financially, as well as medically, uh, I think is, is worth going for. And it can be extremely successful uh, and it is overwhelmingly for the majority of cats. So again, we've got Anna here, I've showed her pictures to you before. I love these pictures where she's very thin, very anxious, unhappy looking cat in the first photo. And then following treatment, she's nice sort of plump, contented uh, cat, very much happier after her radio iodine. So lastly, just a, a few final points to pick up on. The first is iatrogenic hypothyroidism, which I have mentioned a few times. Iatrogenic means we've caused it. So it, it was not, not self-inflicted, if you like, but vet-inflicted. Um, hypo means underactive. Thyroid obviously is the thyroid tissue. So iatrogenic hypothyroidism is where our, our treatment for hyperthyroidism has gone too far. And in the past, I would say, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't seem to worry about this because we didn't think it had any uh, complications to our patients. Um, but unfortunately now, or luckily actually now, we do realise that it actually does uh, really have a negative impact on our patients if we overdo their treatment and that their prognosis, their outlook is much worse. They're more likely to develop uh, kidney complications if we have caused iatrogenic hypothyroidism. So now we want to know about it. We want to avoid it where possible and also treat it if we do see it. And if we do see it, um, the sorts of, of clinical signs of hypothyroidism that you might see would include weight gain, uh, a cat that is uh, more lethargic, spends more time sleeping and resting, and also some coat changes. And in their most dramatic, you might see what's shown in this picture, which is where the hair over the ears, the pinny, um, has all fallen out. So this cat, completely black cat called Coke, um, her, um, her hair on her ears just completely dropped out uh, during her hospitalization period for radioiodine. And uh, it's not something that I actually have seen that dramatically before or since, but uh, in a textbook, this would be considered uh, pathognomonic, which means absolutely classic for this condition. What you probably can't appreciate is that she also is quite dandruffy. So her coat was sort of had little white flecks in it to be quite dull. 
But some of the, the signs of hypothyroidism are quite subtle. And also, if you've had a very hyperactive, agitated, restless, skinny hypothyroid cat, and it now it seems quite sort of fat and content, uh, then that obviously could be, in uh, many people's views, um, you know, a really positive outcome. So um, it now is something that I think we just need to actively look for and not be too complacent really about cats post-treatment being being sort of fat and sleepy because actually maybe it's they're a little bit too fat and too sleepy because we've overdone the treatment. Basic lab tests are not terribly helpful in diagnosing this condition. Often there's a little bit of an anemia, so slightly low red blood cells and slightly high cholesterol, but that's not terribly specific. So we need to typically do more specialist tests. And, and the most helpful one is, is looking at levels of thyroid stimulating hormone, TSH, uh, which is actually quite a standard test, uh, particularly in dogs for hypothyroidism in dogs, which is quite a common dog illness. Um, but the same test can be done in cats and it usually gives you a very clear-cut answer. Uh, occasionally we need to do a, a stimulation, a response test to confirm the diagnosis, um, but that's uh, I would say is almost never needed. Typically that TSH test is, is all we need to do. And then critically of course uh, we need to be aware of this and try and prevent it uh, where possible. So from a medical perspective, it's all about titrating our dose. So making sure that the dose of medication that we give to our cat is enough to bring the thyroid hormone levels down into the reference range, but not so much that the, the thyroid levels are going to be too low. But the good thing is we can measure thyroid hormone levels on our blood tests so we can monitor that. And if we find we're overtreating, we can back off. So I've used uh, uh, graphically here the Goldilocks analogy. Um, so if you, if you remember the Goldilocks story, the porridge, it was too hot, too cold and just right. Same sort of analogy for your antithyroid medication. You just uh, without going too over the top, you want to just have that dose that brings you in that perfect sweet spot in the middle. For cats that receive HILS-YD, the iodine-restricted food, I think the risk of them developing hypothyroidism is probably extremely, extremely low. However, if you did see that, you would need to find an alternative way of, of managing the hypothyroidism. You, you can't continue to use that food if your cat has developed hypothyroidism. And then lastly, if your cat has surgery or radioiodine, the key thing really here is to have some follow up so that you assess um, the, the success of treatment, both in terms of getting rid of hypothyroidism, but also not inducing uh, iatrogenic hypothyroidism uh, following treatment. And uh, if the cat does become hypothyroid following treatment, then supplements can be given to correct that. So we'll just finish off now with a very short little case just to illustrate some of the uh, complexities that we can often see, particularly with our elderly cats. So this is uh, the lovely Millie, who, who uh, an elderly cat, 21 years old, uh, when I became involved in her management. And she had a history at that point of having had hypothyroidism for about a year. And at the time of diagnosis, uh, she was showing fairly typical signs. She was hyperactive. Uh, she was losing weight in spite of having a, a normal appetite. And she was very vocal, particularly at night. She was doing a, a lot of that nighttime yowling. 
and hypothyroidism was diagnosed in her and she start, started some medical management with thiamazole. I think she was uh, receiving filimazole uh, tablets and uh, did very well. Her body weight stabilized. She's a very little cat, but 3.6 kilos is a good weight for her. And her thyroid hormone levels normalized. So 26 is a very nice, normal, perfect zone for our treatment. Um, and she didn't have any kidney complications. Everything was doing great. But unfortunately, um, as time had gone on, she'd started to slip downhill again. And I became involved because um, her um, hypothyroidism had now recurred. It was now no longer fully controlled by that uh, filimazole treatment. So her T4 was now 80, which is above the reference range. But also um, you can see from what, what uh, the information I've included on this slide that she'd lost a lot of weight and her creatinine, uh, which is associated with kidney function, was now very, very high. So we've got an uncontrolled hypothyroidism and also some evidence of kidney disease which is obviously concerning us and clearly we want to treat the hypothyroidism optimally and we know that hypothyroidism is also damaging to the kidneys so we want to treat it from that perspective as well so we did try her on a, a higher dose of treatment so she uh, changed from two and a half milligrams of thiamazole once a day to twice a day but unfortunately just that fairly small difference in dose I mean it's a double dose but it was a low dose to start with just didn't work out for Millie and so actually on that higher dose she her thyroid hormone levels really fell through the floor and whilst we didn't measure her TSH levels which technically uh, you should do to confirm hypothyroidism we can see we're overdoing the treatment there because her T4 levels were now below the reference range which we which we do not want we want them ideally about 20 or uh, higher than that so between 20 and 30 would be perfect but also her kidney um, parameters worsened on that higher dose as well. She was very lethargic and, and uh, really quite poorly. So clearly that was not a dose for her either. But um, happily for, for us, uh, filimazole tablets, one of their advantages is they actually come in three sizes. And uh, several years ago, uh, Decra, the producers, started to make a baby tablet, which is 1.25 milligrams, a really tiny dose. So we had the, the option of using uh, that tiny baby dose um, as a top up to her existing medication um, and provide a, a smaller dose increase than we had done. And uh, that seemed to work extremely well. Her T4 was 19. I've just said 20 to 30 is our sort of perfect zone, but 19 is not far off it. I was quite happy with that. She gained some weight. Uh, you can see she's looking much better in that photo as well. Um, and her kidney parameters remain stable as well. So a little bit of a fine balance. And of course, we needed to manage her kidney disease as well with um, a kidney diet and uh, uh, other um, management strategies as well. But essentially, uh, as, as is the case most of the time, we were able to juggle these two, two conditions. And uh, for some time, I mean, she obviously was already 21, but uh, she did very well for another, I think, 18 months before ultimately her kidney disease deteriorated. And, and uh, the, that was the, the end for Millie, sadly. 
So overall, this is a condition which uh, I think patients uh, do very well on. It does depend on whether they have other conditions uh, in combination with the hypothyroidism uh, and also how long they've been hypothyroid. The longer your hypothyroid, the more severe your hypothyroidism is, the, the longer it takes to, to recover from that. Um, but often we do see a really brilliant response to treatment. And that means that it is one of the, uh, I think that the, one of the nicer illnesses, if you have to have an illness, for you to have because there's a good chance that it will be manageable. So in summary from this whole series, I would say the key points really are that it is common, about 10% of cats over the age of 10 around the world will develop hyperthyroidism. So it's a common condition and it does cause uh, severe clinical signs if left untreated, but it often starts very gradually um, and creeps up on you and weight loss in spite of a good appetite, even an increased appetite is very typical. And this would really highlight the importance of maintaining contact with your vet clinic and in particular if your vet clinic offers preventative health care health screening for senior cats I would really take them up on that so have your cat weighed have them assessed because if the disease is picked up at that early stage it typically is going to be much easier to manage and you're going to get a better outcome and uh, one of the emails I had this week um, from uh, Brenda about her cats, uh, Sybil and Minnie, was to say that their, their hypothyroidism was diagnosed because of that wellness check. So fabulous to, to have those available and to use those because it does mean almost we're treating the illness before the cats even notice they're ill as well. And that's going to have a much better outcome. So I would, would really encourage you to take up any invitations that you get from your vet clinic for those sort of wellness assessments. In most cases, diagnosis and even management of hypothyroidism is quite straightforward. There are definitely some decisions to make. So I would encourage you, if dealing with this in your cat, to really try and learn what you can about the disease and then have an informed discussion with your vet that really concentrates on your cat and their particular issues and their, their particular uh, blood results and, and other findings so that you can hopefully come to an agreement on what's the best plan for them. There are quite a lot of resources on the website that can help you. So um, in the helpful info section, uh, there is a health blog on hypothyroidism that draws together lots of different um, resources uh, from all over the website um, to uh, bring those together for you. There's, of course, the book Caring for a Cat with Hypothyroidism in print and electronic form that you also might ha find helpful. And of course, previous uh, uh, cat cafe sessions on the video tutorial page as well. So uh, refer to the, the previous hypothyroidism and also other related topics as well. But that concludes our, our hypothyroidism and uh, only other things that I wanted to say. Firstly, that the next session we're going to be moving into a different phase, talking about telemedicine, which is remote uh, consulting. Um, so what we're uh, unfortunately having to get quite experienced with at the moment because of COVID and social distancing requirements is that for most practices, um, clients are not allowed into the buildings. So we're doing phone, video and email liaison uh, to do that. And so I thought it might be helpful to have a discussion on really how I think you can help to, to get the most out of that experience, as in provide your vet clinic with the most useful information. And that hopefully will, will help in terms of getting the best possible outcome uh, for your cat. And related to that topic, we have still got a survey on the website for 
any of you that have experienced telemedicine uh, during the last year, um, if you've not already done this survey, then it's still open on the survey page of the website. And also we have a separate survey for vets and vet nurses. So if if you are able to encourage any friends and family that are either owners uh, or vets and nurses to do the, the appropriate survey, that would be absolutely brilliant because uh, I think it's really important for us to work out how we can improve uh, the experience for everybody. I know there's been quite a lot of frustrations and, and it's, been, it's been difficult. Um, but on that note, I'll just uh, say thank you very much. I've spoken for a very long time today. So thank you for staying with me. I appreciate that. And I'll, of course, now uh, be happy to um, throw the floor open for any questions and comments. Thank you very much. Thanks again for listening to this session. For more information, please visit vetprofessionals.com. You can find YouTube recordings of all Cat Cafe sessions on the video tutorials page. To find the video tutorials page, click on the helpful info menu on the homepage. Don't forget that you can also attend future Cat Cafe sessions live and have the opportunity to ask questions and show me you and your cat on video if you like. You can read more about how to access these sessions and see the forthcoming timetable on the video tutorials page of the website. Lastly, if you found this podcast helpful, don't forget to subscribe and add a review. Thank you.